Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's Lamarvelous. <laughs> Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Thursday, little Thirsty Thursday edition here, or if you're watching on YouTube or Twitter, little Wednesday, my dudes. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by... Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How we doing, party people? We're out here, ready for football season to start. It is on the. It's actually officially started. We've had some college football. So a fun little tidbit about that is that. So technically, we're going to see a very strange occurrence at the FBS level, and it's actually the FCS level. So I believe Central Arkansas defeated Austin P in Week One. Central Arkansas will be the only team to have played two games. When teams play two games, um, so number one, FCS schools are eligible to qualify for the AP and coaches polls and everything. And teams that have not played by the time two teams or a, a team has played two games are not able to qualify, I believe. I think they can in coaches polls. But long story short, if Central Arkansas wins, they will be eligible to be uh, the number one team and they might have to be the number one team like Clemson, all those teams, they're not playing uh, before central Arkansas will have played two games. So Appalachian state before they were in the Sun Belt was actually an FCS team and they were ranked as an FCS team. That was the last time that happened. I think it was 2008, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we might see central Arkansas at number one for a brief period of time, which is pretty fucking sick. Why is Austin P just a dude on the bachelor that goes home after like the second week? He also gets really drunk and takes an Austin P uh, in the bachelor house. Well. <laughs> now we're having fun. Now we're, now we're having some good times. Okay. Okay. I like it. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I really didn't watch too much of the, uh, the CFB. How was it? Good, good. It was tasty. We saw a crazy play on the first play of the game, a true freshman running back, uh, the uh, Central Arkansas came out in a uh, wing tee, a double wing, and they ran, they had their left guard pull to the right, so a false pull. Then they ran a speed option to the, uh, to the boundary to the left, and they had their two wings get out in front as lead blockers. So the, run, the linebackers and everything 
completely flowed the wrong direction. The quarterback pitches it to the true freshman running back on his first play of his college football career. He takes it 75 yards to the house. So it was as good of a first play of a career or of a college football season and football season as we really can have. So it was really exciting. There was a couple big hits and it was, uh, I mean, not the highest level football, but it uh, definitely put a lot of guys into the spotlight that deserve it. Some of the smaller school guys, smaller name guys, all those things, get them some, get them some cred, get them going, get a couple scouting reports going on them and get some attention, all that good stuff. See if they can turn into some NFL players or get some good opportunities afterwards because of a rare opportunity to kind of be at the forefront of the football landscape due to the COVID circumstances. As a guy who is admittedly not huge into the college scene, um, it's always Mm -hmm. that first weekend of the year where they just play that random game like midway or kind of near the end of August. Uh, it always takes me by severe surprise, and I'm like, eh, should I be watching this? Should I not? I uh, usually don't end up watching it, and that was no more so than uh, in this year with these uncertain times. Uh, the fact that people were just randomly started talking about college football on Twitter, I probably should have been more plugged in, hand up. I fucked up. I should have should have realized what was going down there, but uh, I totally missed it, and then it took me by surprise. Saw a few of those plays that you were talking about on Twitter, particularly that, uh, I think, that run that's that a, got That's the great open. thing about living in the social media age. You can see the highlights. Yeah, exactly. It's I, I don't have to, like, you know, sit down and wait till 11 p.m. for stinky Keith Olbermann to get onto my TV and... Uh, Tell me what happened. I can kind of stinky just, Keith. Yeah, stinky Keith has just got to calm down a little bit. But um, yeah, it, you know, for all the good and bad of social media, I can just kind of absorb the highlights as they come out and uh, as they are seen necessary to, to uh, take a look at. So was able to do that, and uh, you know, I feel none the wiser the fact that I didn't watch the game. I got to see everything that I needed to see, and we're going right. to wait until maybe some of the bigger games start to get into circulation here. Some rumors about the Big Ten potentially coming back uh, within the month or within the beginning of next month. So, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. It's very strange, volatile. It's college football in the age of COVID. It is. Uh, moving on to another thing that blew my mind just quickly, kind of before we hashtag let Jake cook and get into the the rundown. David Blaine, man. Holy <laughs> shit. Holy shit. The craziest thing of our lifetime. The craziest. Indiv- is there so I'm, Please, listeners, let me know on Twitter or anything if you can think of an individual feat done by a human that is more absolutely amazing and I mean, mind-boggling it's, it's than Felix, what David Blaine did. It's Felix Baumgartner on acid, it felt like. Right. And it's it's the craziest thing. And did you listen to the episode of Joe Rogan? No, no. David I was going to ask you about that. I um I saw it, and I kind of skipped over it. I guess I've been saving it for a long drive or something, but uh, I, I've always been very fascinated by David Blaine or Danny Blaine, if you're a workaholics fan. Danny Blaine, baby. Uh, yeah, so a brief little little summation of that was that, number one, David Blaine is obviously the man. Number two, he gets kind of frustrated with people because he is an illusionist with the sleight of hand and, and the magic and all that stuff. But he gets kind of annoyed because he started getting into these kind of incredible feats more so. And everyone assumes that there's a trick. And for instance, he ends up talking about how he does a breathing technique that he learned where he, quote unquote, uh, purges oxygen and he tries to disperse as much carbon dioxide as he can. So he very quickly inhales like a and then breathes out for a long time. Just to uh, pull back the curtain, that's the exact uh, thing that you do before we start recording these things. I just have to sit there for five minutes and listen to you doing this. Yeah, purge oxygen, get those O2 levels up. But yeah, so he says that he can, uh, he's he's done like a 
thousand skydives at this point or something of the sort. And so he says that he can get all the way up to like 24, 25,000 feet without using oxygen uh, while he's on the plane before he jumps because he per he's able to keep his oxygen levels at like 97, 98% by this breathing technique. So he ends up going on the balloon today and is using this breathing technique, the purging of oxygen, as he calls it, and is up 20,000 feet where it's zero degrees. And you kind of hear over the headset, his his team is telling him, you know, all right, David, like a time for oxygen. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. He wants to prove it. So he puts on a little O2 uh, detector on his finger and starts doing the breathing technique. His oxygen was in the 80s. And he's like, watch this. And the meter raises up into the 90s. So this man is 20,000 feet in the air before he finally puts on the O2 mask. And he just, I mean, please go watch the thing. It's insane. I'm not going to spoil all the fun parts of it. It was truly incredible. I loved it. I had so much fun watching it. I'm very thankful for someone like David Blaine and would highly recommend listening to that episode of Joe Rogan. It's pretty tight, man. It gives me anxiety watching it as somebody who admittedly has never skydived, maybe never will. Uh, if I do, I'm going to have to do the little uh, B word move where you strap onto another human being and they take care of. Uh, well, you, you of have to do that the first time. Okay. Well, yeah, then I'll be doing that the first time. And potentially if I were to do it, to do it a second time, I would probably do it again then. Unless I, you know, get a wild hair and I'm chasing Bodhi out of the uh, door or something and trying to latch onto him without a parachute on my back. Exactly. Just free falling. So yeah, it was awesome. Highly recommend listening. Go watch that. It's on YouTube. He did it live on YouTube and there's a lot of quirky stuff in there and he's definitely a quirky guy, but uh, really cool. Enjoyed it. Enjoy him a lot. And I was happy to be able to watch that this morning. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that Rogan out. Um, shout out to Joe on Spotify now. On Spotify down there in Austin, Texas. Did the episode release yet? Because I'm... I think so, yeah. He's got... He just released uh, the Miley one, Miley Cyrus. And it's in Austin? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. I think so. I think so. I'll have to, to, we'll have to double check that. But we've been exchanging private messages talking about that studio setup. Absolute goals there by our guy, Joe. Yeah, Joe with an awesome setup. But yeah, so let's uh, let's get down to it. Yeah, let's do it. So starting off, wanted to do a little bit of practice notes. So Saturday evening scrimmage this past Saturday, usually a yearly pilgrimage for me and the boys to go down and uh, at least catch one of these. I know you and I were there last year for, I think, one night at least. Uh, apparently things opened up looking a little bit sloppy. Lamar Jackson and the offense not able to get into gear. They finally were able to rev it up, rev it up and Raven staff writer Cliff Brown had this to say about the defending MVPs up and coming or up and down practice finally coming to life. But in the second portion of practice, Jackson suddenly came to life, he said. He hit Mark Andrews over the middle for a nice gain. Then came Jackson's play of the day when he rolled to his right and flicked a 40-yard touchdown pass to Marquise Hollywood-Brown. Jackson later threw a 14-yard dart to Andrews in the end zone to end his practice on a positive note. So this was one of those things where if you're a Ravens fan and you're kind of following one of these things live and you hear about some of the stuff that's going on in the lead up to all that, where the offense is sort of botching it. Uh, there was some hyperbole, some panic going around. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's not just unique to the Ravens. I'm sure every fan base kind of has this, but there was panic going around and then they turn around and they go and do that. And for me, it's just one of those things where you don't want to take too much positive or too much negative out of this. It's just good to see the boys out there sort of practicing, going at it and, uh, having some, uh, some up and down plays to get them tuned up for the regular season, which is, uh, coming shortly here. Right. And so this is a little different than like a preseason game because there's two factors. Number one, the Ravens defense knows the Ravens offense. They know what the motions mean. They know what the personnel means to an extent. They get the themes. So when you know what's coming, it's a lot easier to play defense than it is like 
where it, vice versa, where like the offense can kind of get a good beat on the defense. But if the defense kind of knows what the offense is doing, that makes life really tough, especially with the run concepts and things like that. Uh, the second thing is that they're probably running their kind of game plays that they're planning on running against the Browns. So in preseason, what would this be? Preseason week three, week four, whatever, when the scrimmage took place. What do they always say? But what does everyone always say about preseason? You know, they're they're running 1% of the offense, that kind of stuff. That might not be, I would assume that's not the case. I obviously wasn't there. We weren't there. The reporters don't really get to uh, talk about that kind of stuff because they shouldn't be allowed to, as they would give away, you know, tricks of the trade for what's going on. The Ravens are getting ready for the Browns. They're not, you know, running, running preseason. It's been going around on Twitter that they are in regular season mode now, according to uh, some people on the coaching staff. Exactly. They have been this entire week, basically. So, yeah, I mean, they're running the the difficult stuff and the defense probably kind of knows what's coming. So it uh, makes things a little tricky, but they got the hang of it. And I, I really appreciate the beat writers and everyone. And, and Philly is like obsessed with this. Like when there's these live scrimmages, they <laughs> the best. they keep they keep it'll be like Carson Wentz, 28 of 37, 272 yards, two touchdowns, one interception in the live scrimmage today. And that's great. Um, I appreciate them doing that. I would rather have that than not have it. So I appreciate that. But at the same time, it's like, they're not playing a game. They're not playing in a game. That's, that's in the words of Alan Iverson, of course, you know, we're talking about practice. It's a scrimmage. They're not laying each other out like that. Of course, there's, they're going to pop the pads. They're going to hit They're tackling all the way and stuff. It's just different when you're playing with your teammates. And that's not to say that, you know, I didn't play any high level of football, but when I did play football, my teammates would blast me and I would, you know, give them my all, but it's just different in a game, different, different, different. There's more, more on the line, more at stake. And you don't know these guys, you don't care about them. Um, you don't mind if they, if you kind of, you know, send them to the sideline for a play or two, because you know, not, you don't want to wish them injury, but you want to, you know, rock them. So it's a little bit different rock and I just don't read into the, yeah, rock them, rock them, rock them, rock them. You don't want to read too much into all that stuff and the stats of practice and things like that. But it's good to hear that the Ravens defense was, you know, tough. Sounds like Clayus Campbell has just been wrecking shop this entire time. So a player that's been consistently elite. He went from a good player to an elite player over the past four years. Uh, wrecking shop constantly. And I hope the Ravens defense is holding up against the Ravens offense. That's a great thing. The Ravens offense is incredible. Only team to score over 500 points last year. Added some speed, some talent. Lost Yondo, of course, but... Projects to be a really dynamic offense again. So uh, I wouldn't read too much into the struggles or all that that stuff. It, it's, you know, it's practice, man. Do you think it helps the offense more to go up against this defense that knows them better or to get a full dress rehearsal in a preseason game? I think probably the latter, but I think really sharpening that iron against the defense that kind of knows what you're doing probably has some tangible benefits as well. Yeah, when you play, a, it kind of reminds me of like, the team I would say that really had a good read on what the Ravens want to do. There's probably three from last season, actually. Uh, and I, I, the Titans played great, but these three teams kind of really were on the Ravens offense, the 49ers, the bills and the Steelers in the first matchup. Those three teams had a really strong understanding of what the Ravens want to do. They played pretty disciplined and the Ravens were able to kind of, you know, defeat them in the end. And it was a real battle. Uh, so those three teams were tough and I would feel like it's even tougher than that. And yeah, it, it simulates going against a really good football team that's well coached and understands your tendencies. So the difference is that, you know, of course, the Ravens defense might respond to motion and respond to different personnel and matchups a lot differently than 
let's say, you know, the Chiefs or the Browns or any of these teams they've got on the schedule. So there's a little bit of difference there, but I think it really does help in that sense, playing kind of a very serious scrimmage where the defense knows what you're doing. It makes you have to execute that much better, I feel like. Of course, you would love to get the test run of the preseason, but at that point, you know, I mean, how much how much do we see out of the preseason in terms of the starters? Like, you know, you can see some things, and like like we said, it's one percent of the offense. So I, I think that the scrimmage helps a lot. Of course, the preseason kind of gets everybody, the coaching staff prepared better. But coaching staff's experience, this isn't their first rodeo. So I think uh, I think that scrimmage was pretty good for them. Yeah, and I'm glad to see the Ravens at least embracing it a little bit and live streaming some of it to social where people could watch it. I wasn't able to indulge this time around, but uh, it's a cool idea by them. Absolutely. It seems like it went really well. Uh, literally snapping wood. They've been, knock on wood if you're with me, healthy. And I'm, I'm probably jinxing it, but at this point, they're uh, they're uh, healthy, and it's a good thing. So we're in a good place as Ravens fans, and the Ravens are in a good place as Ravens to get this show going. Yeah, and it seems like they're pretty much at the point where they're going to be on cruise control for the remainder of August and pushing into week one here. So not sure what you're grinning out there because friends, I knocked on wood and she's going to the front door asking me who's there. And as I said, knock on wood, if you're with me, well, she's so, with you. So yeah, she is with me. So I did knock on wood, but she's like going to the front door and making a bunch of gestures at me. Mentally not with you. <laughs> yeah. Mentally not here. So Shout out to the franchise, first ever appearance on this podcast. How about that? Yeah, first time being an absolute dunce on this podcast. Well, that's par for the course, looking at us two. That's true. A couple of dunce caps, you and I. Okay. Anything else on this practice? We're talking about practice. It's a game. It's not a game. Practice. Okay, so just wanted to throw it to the comments real quick. We got my guy Eric chiming in. What's up, fellas? We got Otavio Malaire, which surprise cut can you see happening? Eric, again, is preseason gone for good? I wanted to bring that up. Is preseason gone for good? I think probably this is going to be the blueprint to cutting it down to at least two games and then maybe potentially just be gone for good. Who could say? I would like one game Okay. where you don't even play starters. They don't even step on the field. They don't even put jerseys on. Like maybe some of the like Patrick Queen maybe puts a jersey on maybe not, but I would like to see a game or scrimmage practices against other teams. That's that's the ultimate solution. After COVID, whenever that is, whenever teams feel safe, maybe it's next year. Who I don't I can only speculate, so not even going to go down that wormhole. But um, scrimmages they did it with the Eagles last year, and uh, they've done it with they did it with the Jaguars as well. And those are those are really fun. I feel like that's really good. Uh, the scrimmage where you can kind of control it. You can get some good drills against different guys and uh, have simulate those live sessions without having to do all the serious stuff. And I think the players would support that, too, because they, they do still have to practice. They do still have to go through camp. Uh, so just adding another team probably spices things up. And that feels like the perfect combination. Yeah, maybe just let them get wild with it. Rock like basketball jerseys and stuff and just have some fun. Uh, Abdiraman Hassan. What's up, guys? What's up, man? Uh, okay, I guess we're ready to move on to the second item here, which was that there are a trio of rookies just absolutely uh, turning heads there in training camp. Some of these practices that we're talking about specifically wanted to point out J.K. Dobbins, Devin DuVernay, and Tyree Phillips, an interesting uh, case here. Uh, so just running through the list here, per Harbaugh, Dobbins is earning a significant role per John Harbaugh. 
He's looked really good in practice. Harb said he works really hard. He's just the most coachable guy. He has a lot of talent and he's very coachable. So he wants to be good. He wants to play. He's confident. Confidence plus coachability plus talent. It's a pretty good combination. Uh, Dobbins, I mean, talking about some of these videos coming out of training camp, you would think this guy is already one of the best running backs in the league. I know that's obviously hyperbole based on videos that are just coming out of a camp practice, but looking pretty darn good so far. Yeah, it's legit, man. He, they love him. They displayed that by taking him in the second round. I mean, they can't, they're, they've been giddy about him since they took him in the second round. And, you know, Eric DaCosta knew he had Ingram and Hill and Edwards. So it, it just speaks so much volume for them to take him considering the stability and depth of their backfield and then just glow about him all summer long. And he has been a superstar from a young age. I uh, can't recall the name of the town. He's from in Texas, but he's from a 6A school. He was a four-star. DeSoto, uh, maybe? No. No, I don't think he went to DeSoto. I mean, there's a I million players from Texas, to be fair. but Yes, yes. DeSoto is a factory. I mean, the Ravens have had a couple ties there. But um, he was at the opening and won the opening. He got, like, the most outstanding, you know, camp whatever award um he ran like a 4-4 and had over a 40 inch vertical when he was like 17 then he goes to ohio state true freshman crushes has an injury his sophomore year comes back sets the ohio state rushing record ends up being a second round pick has shown an incredibly well-rounded game in all aspects pass pro uh, only allowed four pressures final season at osu split out wide for 10 percent of his snaps you see cut-ups of him he can run routes. He can run real routes as a receiver. He knows how to release. He knows how to track the ball well. Um, so he's the best receiving back that they have potentially. And I mean, him and Justice Hill, I feel like are neck and neck on like a dead sprint up. If they get a clear A gap on a dive, like they probably are pretty close to each other in terms of just straight line speed. He can make guys miss. He can run through contact. He was outstanding after contact at Ohio State. So it, it's just hard. You just see these videos of him like shaking the shit out of Malik Harrison. And then, you know, mossing uh, Welch, the Christian Welch, the linebacker from Iowa, and everybody's just raving about him. So, I mean, it feels like he's going to, as John Harbaugh blatantly said, you know, be a significant part of what they do. Uh, him also just tweeting 25 minutes ago, name is JK, but I am not. Just kidding. I, of course, responded I, with I the JK Simmons. Just kidding jokes with his name. Love it. Cody McGowan throws in in the comments. We all thought Duvernay was the Steve Smith clone, but apparently it's Dobbins. Yeah, he's been, you know, get it, like throwing hands a little bit or uh, getting into some scrappy little altercations to Sean Elliott, a couple other guys. Apparently, he likes to talk crap in the weight room. So he gets the coach's attention and it, it puts pressure on them to put pressure on him to have a perfect workout. Maybe so, he's going to get into a fight with Deshaun Elliott and then bring him Dunkin' Donuts the next week. Oh, shout out to Lord Darius Webb and uh, Steve Smith and their little dust up that they had. That was awesome. Love, love Webby. Love Steve Smith. Absolutely. Is that all Does you got Justice on? Hill make this team quick one from life's crazy? Yes. Justice Hill makes this team or is put on IR. That's that's my prediction. Yeah, could be. Or, you know, gets traded. Who knows? Uh, I guess moving on to the next guy that we had written down here. So it was Dobbins, Devin Duvernay next on the list. Duvernay. Also earning an offensive role, which uh, was highlighted on the Ravens website. Uh, kind of goes contrary to him just being a special teams guy this year, which some people seem to be throwing out there. Harbs had this to say about Duvernay. He's earning more and more every day. He's done a really good job. He's a hard worker. He doesn't say a lot, but he works a lot. He's been especially good downfield tracking balls in terms of the deep ball. I think he's going to have a role. I agree. Just based on some of the, uh, again, hate to be camp highlight guy, but it seems like he really belongs out there. 
Absolutely. He is just, he just has defined traits and it's speed. It's, it's actual game speed. He runs away from guys. We saw it at Texas a ton and he matches that with a really great set of hands and he can track the ball. Well, um, they like his blocking in, at Texas. They like the toughness that he plays with. He's built like a running back at like two twelve, five eleven, somewhere in that range. And he has been reportedly getting behind guys on deep balls. So it's, it's good. And it's really good for the Ravens DBs to face him and Hollywood guys that have a real true speed and understand how to trail and catch up with them. And, and when to time uh, kind of the, Balls end up being underthrown a lot of times, a little bit. So the receiver has to wait, and then you see a lot of DBs run into them, and then it's a pass interference, and you go up 40 yards without even letting the receiver make a catch. So uh, it's good both ways. But Duvernay seems like a guy that's going to be used on screens and jet sweeps, and he's going to be used as a decoy a lot to try and kind of push safeties deep and, and space things out for Hollywood to run some digs and run some curls and hitches and uh, things like that. So Duvernay is definitely going to have a role. Feels like at 11 personnel, they'll probably use him quite a bit, especially on third down, spread things out and see what he can do. Yeah, very fast squat player. Kind of weirdly hits like a Mack truck in certain situations. Uh, prayers up for Grant Delpit, who just went down with an Achilles injury over in Cleveland. But that LSU-Texas game where Duvernay absolutely clowned on him, I think at least once, maybe twice in that game, uh, that dude absolutely is a physical presence is as well, which is not necessarily something you would expect uh, just looking at his physical profile. But yeah, I think he's going to have a role. I don't know how big it's going to be, but I think they're going to try and get the ball into his hands. Uh, like I keep mentioning, a la Campanero. I think they he was a guy who they tried to manufacture touches to. His body just kind of didn't hold up. But uh, I think, like I've been saying, I think this guy could be the ideal version of what they wanted uh, Campanero to be. Right, and it's the evolution for the Ravens' offense, who didn't take advantage of those jet motions and screens quite as much last year. So that's how you mix it up this year and catch the Browns week one. Hand the ball off three times on jet sweeps. Throw some of those screens. Duvernay had 12 broken tackles on screens last year. It was the most in the FBS last year. So a physical player might be getting some kick return duty as well. So that would be exciting. The straight line speed plus that physicality. Sounds like a good combo, kind of like a Corderell Patterson type deal. So should be fun stuff. Absolutely. Uh, last guy was Tyree Phillips. So this is an interesting case. He was kind of an un- unexpected mid-round pick there. What school was he at again? Third round pick, 98, 95, 92. And what college was he at? Oh, Mississippi State Mississippi. by way of uh, Indo- – wait, was he at uh, – I thought he was like Mississippi Southern or something. Maybe I'm wrong. No, no, no. He went to Mississippi State. Okay, but he was JUCO on Last Chance U, not at Independence at uh, East Mississippi JUCO. EMCC, yeah, that was the one that uh, Zadarius was at. He wasn't on right. that season, but he went back to visit during that season. Um, right. But yeah, you know, a mid-round pick. He kind of wasn't expected to be picked there. I don't know how high everyone was necessarily on the pick at the time, but uh, very interesting dude. Kind of seems academically pretty smart. He's got a very country background to him. He comes in here and Big he's country baby. Oh yeah. He's impressing so far. Harbaugh said he's got a really good demeanor. He doesn't get down on himself. He just pushes through it and learns from mistakes. Additionally, ESPN's Jamison Hensley points to him as a potential starter, which I thought was pretty out of left field. But uh, as far as the Ravens, just taking guys in the mid rounds on the offensive line, whether it's interior or maybe on that right side to just kind of plug in and start when nobody expected it. Uh, seems like the pedigree is there on the Ravens side of things. Maybe it's going to be there for old Tyree Phillips. Right. He's a guy that was out at right tackle Mississippi State. His feet weren't quite clean enough at tackle so he could get beat around the edge and things like that. But 
a tackle's feet are usually always better than the guard that's playing inside of him for the like especially at the college level so moving him to guard was the immediate announcement he has outstanding insane length for a guard so he'll be able to reach quickly and kind of stunt stun and stall uh those linemen especially some of those stubbier ones if they're not able to fight his hands away he's going to really lock on he's a guy who understands how to really hit into the hip on a combo block especially when he's the one working to the second level so if you want to move someone as far as possible their their center balance is in their hips it is imperative that you drive low get that elbow and shoulder into the inside hip uh on that right side of the defender that you're combo blocking, then work your way up to the second level. Those long arms should help when he works to the second level. And Cole Jackson of RSR really loves him pulling from right tackle. He said he pulled through to the B gap quite a bit. Uh, the Ravens didn't pull from right guard a ton. They had Yonda there, so they wanted Yonda. They wanted to run behind Yonda, uh, but that adds a little versatility in a way where those pulls could be coming from maybe either side now. And if he's the guy, right guard, I, I feel like it really speaks volumes. They love his attitude. And a guy that does come up th- from Juco, you know, proves that he kind of, you know, had a tough situation all the way down at the Juco level and was able to just keep his he- keep his head down and grind and work and work and work and work all the way through. You mentioned he had an outstanding, he was all SEC academic and uh, won an award for his academics last year as well. I can't recall the name of the award off the top of my head, but you mentioned him being an academic stud after coming from Juco, and that's really nice to see. So Tyree Phillips, big country, big, big things potentially. Could be a sleeping giant there at right or left guard. Yeah, also his name is going to be very confusing for me as a fledgling F1 fan. Uh, tires are a big aspect of that sport. Uh, the soft tires, the hard tires, weather tires, everything, and they spell it T-Y-R-E. So I'm going to be calling right. him Tire Phillips at least once moving forward, especially if he has an outsized role as an outsized guy on that offensive line. Speaking of Cole, hate to see him be a PS4 guy uh, as he and I have a date with Destiny on PGA Tour 2K21. Cole, get an Xbox. Come on, man. Let's make this game happen here. Uh, anything else on Tire Phillips? He is... A man child and very young, huge, massive wingspan, big mitts, all that good stuff. So we shall see what they are able to do with the third round pick. Yeah, kind of a, you know, he was like listed as a fifth, sixth. People were thinking of him as a tackle because of his kind of prodigious length. Uh, I think he has like an 81 inch wingspan, something of the sort. So it's going to be exciting to see what he can do at the guard spot. Okay, cool. Uh, Moving on, we have. Little Greg Roman media availability, and he was asked about Lamar Jackson's designed run plays. Uh, he said that they will not be going anywhere, and their inclusion in the game plan is going to be pretty much so baked in that them being called will somewhat be based on in-game flow week to week. He said, I think we'll all have to wait and find out. That's just something that we can have available every week. We'll do a little bit of more of it this week and a little bit less of it the next week. That's always on the table. I also think it's an in-game feel, how the defense is playing, all those different things. We have a pretty good menu when we go into a game, and we can kind of see how the game is going. It's something that we can definitely hang our hat on at times, and other times we won't. So kind of a topic of discussion is how much are they going to keep running him here when they are going to need his body to hold up over the long term. But, you know, it's a huge part of his game, and the question is going to have to be asked, uh, you know, until he just turns into a pocket-passing quarterback straight up, which I don't think is going to happen. Yeah, we see guys like Randall Cunningham, Mike Vick play into their 30s and maintain that. Steve Young, all kinds of guys. So it's it's always going to be there. It has to. It's part of the offense, like he said. Greg Roman loves to uh, try to identify those weak spots. And if they see in that option game that someone's kind of misplaying how to you know 
stay with the quarterback, stay with the running back, contain the edge, and get a Paul and Lamar Jackson, they're going to take advantage of it. It's it's too much of a skill not to. And Lamar Jackson on those power reads or the veer where the running back is on an outside zone or kind of a sweep look, and he pauses with the ball at the mesh point and can then run up inside between the tackles has just been so – that's his best play uh, dating all the way back to his freshman year at Louisville. Like, you can't stop it. Like, no, one, no one's been able to stop it consistently. Uh, it, he's been so successful on it for so long now at this point. It's been, you know, five years of it. So uh, you, you want to save those and pick your spots with them, but you also need to make sure you maintain the threat of his legs. Make defenses respect the hell out of it or make them pay. Uh, that's the principle there. So they trust Lamar to make good decisions. He's made good decisions, very much so, especially considering how young he is. And it's going to be there. It's going to stay there, but those carries might come down, you know, 10%, 15% this year from last year. I probably could have done a little bit better homework on this as far as getting the amount of times he ran ran on design, run, ran, ran on design runs uh, last year per game. Uh, but just off the top of your head, what would your over-under per game be on designed quarterback runs for Lamar? So not scrambles, but when Greg actually pulls a trigger, getting him going on a power or wrap or whatever it might be. So last year he ran the ball 176 times. There was 23 kneel downs. There were um, tw- 29 scrambles. So somewhere in like the 130 range on those those options. Uh, his RPO rush usage, I can pull up in one second, but he was astronomically good at that. The RPOs are going to stay there. And as opposed to this year, I would, I would expect that 176, you know, maybe the Neils are in the same range. The scrambles, I would actually like to see go up a little bit. He was fifth in the NFL in total number of scrambles. Uh, he only scrambled on... of dropbacks, 9% of dropbacks, somewhere in that department. So I actually would like to see him take off a little bit more at times when that, when it's there, Uh, you know, he does a good job for the most part. He's, he's really wanted to prove that he's a passer, but I mean, Cam Newton kind of had the same thing where he wanted to prove he was a pocket passer, only scrambled 5% of his dropbacks. Aaron Rodgers scrambles on 5% of his dropbacks. So in my opinion, that's just not enough. Um, So his RPO run usage, he had 92 attempts on that for 671 yards. So quite a high success rate there. Uh, that is 92 divided by 13 yards of carry. Holy shnikes. Nope, I did the math wrong, but uh, a little bit lower than that. So yeah, he's going to keep running. Long story short. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, more scrambling from him I would like to see as well. They do not win that game in Seattle, both with the design runs like we saw in that fourth down and then in the fourth quarter when he just went absolutely Russ Westbrook and just ran every other play and basically ended the game by just running it down their throats. So more scrambling from him. I would certainly like to see anything else on the Greg Roman press conference. He was very noncommittal. He was just, you know, like having coach speak. I feel like he's mastered that at this point. Him more than any other coach on the staff. Slick back. Like he's got some little, like a little light curls going on with his like salt and pepper slick back and was wearing like a dope Nike, camo gray and like white um he always just knows a little bit more than everybody else in the room that's that's the vibe i'm getting from greg and i i kind of like it yeah his his co-workers have called him a genius and an evil genius as long as he's been in baltimore so he uh he's smart and he knows it even before that actually i think uh, he was a pretty high profile guy in uh san fran as well and then even in buffalo he was uh quite the contrast to a guy like rex uh, maybe not physically, but definitely from the mental standpoint, just not op- <laughs> not operating on the same wavelength. A couple meatballs, but definitely different wavelengths. Uh, yeah. 
Moving on, some transaction notes. So this was an interesting one in that the Ravens went ahead and waived defensive end John Daka, a guy who we both liked. They also waived wide receiver Michael Darius, I think is how you pronounce that, from Georgetown, and center Sean Pollard from Clemson. They also went ahead and placed wide receiver DeAndrew White, a lower-profile guy who's bounced around the league, onto injured reserve. Yeah, uh, Darius out of Georgetown. We had Emery Hunt on, our good buddy, uh, recurring guest, and he loved him. He said he was a standout in that conference, so he ends up getting waived. Tough year for these guys all around. I'm glad that he got the opportunity. Glad DACA got the opportunity. Uh, DACA feels like an explosive guy. They gave him a $100,000 contract. Uh, I think it was a little bit over that, and felt like he had a legitimate sh- shot, not because of the money, just because of kind of that commitment it shows. And it just feels like the Ravens outside linebackers right now are just so entrenched and enthralled into that uh, room. And then beyond that, there's Chauncey Rivers. There's Aaron Adoye, who apparently has done quite a good job, according to Matt Wise, at camp this year. And it feels like there just isn't room. They also have Chauncey Rivers, another last last chance U guy who was Georgia and then uh, Independence and then he or maybe he was I can't recall I can't remember distinguish the seasons and then he was back at uh where was Rivers at Mississippi State as well yeah Mississippi State as well and so it just feels like there wasn't enough room DACA a very light guy came around 230 maybe he's a little bit bigger than that now but Tyus Bowser's like 250 and is one of the smaller outside linebackers the Ravens have rostered so might just not fit the build there maybe he bounces around hope he finds a chance somewhere else seems like an explosive player so we'll see what he gets why do they IR DeAndre White? Special teams? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I like. I don't know. I remember him they at Alabama. They could still cut him. He was at Alabama, right? I believe so. And he, they could still cut him. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I just, yeah, that was just kind of the one that stood out to me. It's like, if you're going to waive these other guys, why send him to IR? I don't know. But uh, anything else on all of that? Nope. Cool. Moving on, the Ravens have announced that fans can purchase cutouts of themselves to sit in the stands, uh, while there are still no fans at the games, or maybe even beyond that, uh, for between 45 and $55, but depending on if you're a PSL owner or not. Shout out to I'm a PSL owner Twitter. Uh, and this is all prior to a September 7th deadline. I, I didn't see that until you put it in the notes. I didn't quite see that. And you better fucking believe Spencer Nathaniel Schultz will be represented in cardboard at that stadium this season. I don't know if they're going to allow you to be chugging a beer, though, in the picture. We'll see what we can do there. Okay. I feel like, yeah, I kind of feel like we do have to make this happen now. Yes, we will. And we'll see if uh, someone can help us out and get a picture of them. That would be fantastic. That's actually like borderline my dream come true is to have a cardboard cut out of me there. We actually, uh, I big missed opportunity here. I labeled this segment as fan fatheads. Missed opportunity for fathead not to jump in here and get involved. Fathead, it would be terrible if you just started sponsoring this podcast. Um, it would be awful. But... Yeah, I love that so incredibly much, and I'm going to be getting one. And I'm probably going to do that when I'm at work in a couple hours and uh, order myself one. Okay, very cool. Uh, Moving on, we had, on a more serious note, the Ravens players writing a letter to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell urging him to bring the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act of 2020 to the floor for a vote. Uh, Ravens' new de facto locker room leader, Calais Campbell, had this to say on the historic happening. This organization is special, having the, the ability to be able to make a statement from the players and coaches. There were a lot of players speaking up. I remember talking to Tony Jefferson when I was trying to figure out if this trade was going through. He was like, I'm very excited. You'll get to experience being a Raven. I now know what he means. 
Uh, they were both teammates back in Arizona several years ago. It is profound. It is uh, just regardless of where you stand on the issue, this is my big thing about it. Regardless of where you stand, offering real solutions, offering real course of action instead of just identifying the problem is what people need to do in these kinds of situations to make real effective change and to promote the right kind of brainstorming. Uh, use logic, think about action, think about how to make things real, tangible change in our society. And I'm you know, really proud to cover and be a fan of a team that didn't just, just I mean, I, I don't want to say it, but you know, it's great in many ways to identify these problems and to voice your support towards change. But at a certain point, it's like, all right, everyone knows what the problem is. Someone step up to the plate, show some leadership, show some ability to go through those brainstorming sessions and, and find just solutions, man. And they did that and you really love to see it. Uh, I'm sure that it might not resonate well with everyone because people have different opinions, but you have to respect that aspect of it, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think while there is some disingenuousness that annoys me with people that say like, Oh, well, what are you actually doing? You're just pointing out the problem. It's like, okay, yeah. Like you're kind of right there. Like there should be more action behind some of this stuff, even though it doesn't necessarily hurt anybody to call attention to these kinds of things. A little more action uh, would be nice to see sometimes. And the Ravens are the first pro sports team. I can really remember that has literally gone this far to not only release statements uh, urging for X, Y, and Z to happen, but also putting forth at least some action in the form of this letter. They made a nice video with a lot of the players kind of reading it out and uh, sort of putting some emotion to it and uh, putting some emotion on their faces. As you can see, a lot of these guys are pretty broken up about all that's been happening as uh, black men and black athletes in this country. And uh, they want to affect change. And, you know, they're not just doing the thing where they're like, all right, we're just going to talk about it. They're actually trying to put some action behind it which is impressive and whatever you think about something like this or something about NBA teams choosing to maybe sit out some of their playoff games, which I think is pretty ballsy. Uh, you got to at least respect their, their stepping up and taking action because some people that would decry that what they were doing would initially say like, Hey, you're not actually taking any action. They're not actually doing anything. Can't say that anymore because this is a pretty big step for them to take. Right. They uh, took the steps. They did the action and you got to commend them in that regard. So it also, I mean, has a, a speaks volumes about the way that Steve Bashotti, the way that, uh, you know, the Ravens front office, the way that John Harbaugh and the coaching staff feel about their players and what kind of environment they want. And that is like the greatest advertisement in free agent recruiting history that it you're basically showing such a a clear, transparent leadership, it's going to attract more leaders, people who want to be in that type of culture, that winning culture, that leadership driven, sturdy, rock solid, you know, uh, kind of culture that they strive for where the players are respected and kind of like are, are encouraged to voice the way they feel in a professional and respectful manner. Guys are going to want to play in Baltimore because of things like that, as well as because of the talent, the continuity for many, many reasons. So it's going to help them on many levels as, you know, being a good person and, and being able to find solutions to problems and use logic is kind of an attractive thing just per, as a person. So uh, I think it'll be a magnet for them in a way to find those leaders and bring them in. Yeah, and bring some uh, civility and stability to a country that is severely lacking it right now. And especially in the fact that great point made by Glenn Clark, who basically came out and said, look, I know a lot of these guys and a lot of these guys lean to the right or are just straight up Republican. That is in the Ravens front office. And they, a lot of the people that were involved in getting this out there 
were those same people. So, I mean, it kind of does show, like you said, a deference to the players, a respect for the amount of power and leverage that these players have as the athletes and the guys that drive the revenue. And uh, just as human beings that you have a good personal and professional relationship with, uh, I think it's just good vibes from an organization that maybe it has people from a lot of different viewpoints, but uh, they're at least showing um, when confidence, even, you know, in myself is lacking in this country that that can still happen. Uh, they're showing that it can. So kudos to them. Right. Kudos to them. Okay. Uh, last thing we had, I know you got to get out of here shortly, uh, is that in his Wednesday media availability, John Harbaugh stated free the big 10 with a report coming out from Dan Patrick that the conference is targeting an early October return, as I alluded to earlier. Yeah, they have been continuing the test. Penn State has had seven of their 212 athletes tested, test positive over the past like two weeks. Michigan's had none of their football players. Uh, If they can be in the classroom, they can be on the football field. And the protocol that they're taking is safer than if they weren't on the football team. They are well safer. And as far as, you know, people have been talking about the 94 to 6 little report that came out, whatever. That means a lot that pretty, I mean, not that if you don't have it, you can't get it. as far as the deaths, like people who don't have the underlying conditions, you know, obviously have had a rough time with it, but kind of shows that if you don't have underlying conditions and you have kind of been thoroughly checked out heart, lungs, you know, asthma, diabetes, all those things you've kind of been checked for already. It it, it kind of is encouraging that way. While there are repercussions for the 133 million Americans that are at risk from COVID. But uh, if you're playing football in the big 10, you're safe. You're getting tested every day. You're getting tested three times a week, whatever it is, and they should play. Yeah, exactly. If you have that plan of action and you're able to execute it, which I mean, listen, as much as everyone loves to rag on the NFL for literally everything, they've done a really good job at it so far. So maybe you take your cues from them. Exactly. And hopefully we're able to play a nice full football season this year. So props to the NBA, props to the uh, the UFC for getting their bubble started and kind of kicking things off with that. And the MLB kind of has survived some pretty you know, seemingly scary situations and is, is trucked on and not had any real complications from it. Uh, so very positive stuff in the sports world. And hopefully we get a full football season. Absolutely. So anything else before we get out of here, bud? We're going to have an interview hopefully tomorrow for you guys with Kyle Barber and a very special guest. We don't like to announce things before they happen, but this is one we're very excited about. So we hope that you guys will join us tomorrow. Uh, we will probably not live stream that one. We're going to just record it and then post it at podcast uh, probably f- either late tomorrow or Friday as Jake is able to cut it up and do it. And thank you guys for joining us for this lunch episode. Yep. Your boy going to be hopefully getting a little producer cred on that one because it is a big one and it's going to be a lot of fun. Should it happen? It seems like all things are pointing to it going through. So uh, really looking forward to that. Really appreciate everyone tuning in to this lunch hour edition and going to be talking to you guys again uh, with that interview should it come out on time on Friday. And then again into next week, try to get an early week uh, episode out for you and then get back to that Uh, two episode a week uh, little structure there as we inch closer and closer to week one we're in the 11th hour yes we are my friends so we thank you guys so much for listening i'm going to steal jake's thunder uh you can find us at podcast beatdown on twitter at jake luke that's l-o-u-q-u-e at ravens the number four dummies at ravens for dummies for myself uh be more beatdown at be more beatdown on twitter and on instagram you can find all of our articles and content written wise and then some video content as we get into the season i'll be getting some film cut-ups done again so find that at baltimorebeatdown.com and we thank you guys so much for joining us until next time see ya peace out Pop, 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 pop,
Alright, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. Alright, God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>